morning again. Good morning. We're going to get into the Word of God. Yeah. Isn't God good? Hasn't today been sweet already? I'm so grateful for just the testimonies of His goodness and His presence with us when we gather in His name. Amen. And who's grateful for our kids? Woo! Bless them. We're so grateful. Um, before we jump into um, the Word today, I mean, this is the Word, because the Word is living and active, and um, those testimonies really touched me this morning of just the way God has moved in faith um, and spoken to our hearts, and, uh, you know, the, the spirit of prophecy is, the, is revealing Jesus to us. And, um, you know, the word testimony, I've been told, I can't say I've studied this for myself, so just to be honest, uh, has within it the, the idea, the connotation of to do it again. And the reason the Israelites would many times re- report their testimonies of what the Lord has done is so that they would believe for God to do it again. Um, and I love that. That's one reason we share them. I wanted to just springboard off of those for a moment um, especially what um, Miss Irene shared in, ter- in terms of lament or loss um, that some may be uh, experiencing and want to uh, release the grace of God on you um, in that moment for the Lord to meet you, just as he spoke to Miss Irene. I believe he wants to speak to some of you who, who may be in a place where, uh, whether it's personal life situations, individuals in your family, or just you know the state of the world have caused a, a sense of lamenting in your soul. I believe Jesus wants to lay his hand on that um, and give you grace in that. And if that, so if you're that in any way, uh, experiencing that, or when she shared that, you were stirred, um, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just be honest. Look around the room. Would you extend your hand towards these ones? Everyone, let's, let's pray for them. Lord, we thank you today that your grace is abundant that you meet us in our time of need, God. And even as uh, the testimony Kirby shared, God, we don't even know how to pray, but you pray with us and for us. And so, Lord, we lift up our weak words right now, and we ask for you to release the answer from heaven. God, that you would speak the word of life to every heart. God, that you'd meet with grace, with hope, with joy, each person that lifted their hand right now. And so everyone in the room who's got their hand pointed at someone, would you just pray for them? Pray with your own words or pray in the Spirit. If you have a prayer language, just release those mysteries. Let the Holy Spirit pray through you right now and release grace to these ones in the room. We're going to believe for peace to come right now, for a lifting of the burden to come. Jesus lifts the burden. God takes the heaviness and gives us a spirit of praise. Lord, we, we, we declare that over these ones right now. Just take a minute. Everyone just lift your voice for them. Just release the grace of God for them. Thank you, Father. Yes, yes, yes. I just feel a a lifting coming. I feel a a relief coming to those who've been weighed down. Just continue to pray for a minute. This is what we're here for. This is why we come. Jesus. Just press beyond that I don't know what to pray moment. That's the important part right there. Press beyond it. Just trust the Lord to give you language, either in the natural or in the spirit. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We thank you that you lift every burden. God, you never call us to carry a burden. You are the burden carrier, and we walk with you. We just pray grace upon these ones. God, to walk with you, we declare a lifting of the burden. God, and a deposit of divine, supernatural hope. God, in their hearts. God, I pray that even as you spoke to Miss Irene, and she shared that, that you drop right now the word the word of the Spirit, the word of the Lord, the word of hope to each and every situation, God, that these ones would leave uh, burden-free, light in their spirit, but more than that, carrying the living word of God, treasuring the word of God in their heart this morning, God, in receiving life from you, receiving abundant life from you. Yeah, and just take one more second here, one, another half minute, just if you have a prayer, just release it over these ones. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're the burden lifter, the way maker. You are the lifter of their heads, God. You are the lifter of our heads, Lord. Lord, lift every head to be eye to eye with you. Yes, God. Lift every head to see you, to see your eyes, to see the expression in your face, the kindness and the loving kindness of your heart towards them, God, right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen. I mean, you know, if you still want to pray for people, go right ahead. Just... Anytime you're in this house and you see someone you want to pray for, do it. I don't care if we're worshiping, sharing announcements. I don't care if I'm preaching. Unless you get really loud, then you might want to take it outside. Um, but please, please love people in the grace of God. Amen? Um, just in case you didn't know, that's, that's always welcome. All right, so we're going to get into the Word of God today. Um, we are... Wrapping up this week and next week, our journey to the cross series. Um, as we're wrapping up the book of John, in that, and and you may have the question, as I do, like uh, journey to the cross. So we're we're kind of way beyond the cross in terms of where we're at in the story. But the truth is, we have to see the the fruit, the repercussions of Jesus' death and resurrection to get the full impact of the journey to the cross. The cross doesn't end with Jesus' death or his burial. It begins with his resurrection and the new life he brings to us. And what we've been walking through in these last chapters of John is Jesus meeting people post-resurrection, depositing and releasing uh, the life and friendship he has to give to his friends, you and me. And so uh, this, it will end this week, but we have to see, I just want to put in context the effect and impact of what he accomplished on the cross. And last week we talked specifically of how he called his friends, although the season was new and unfamiliar to them and disillusioning in some ways, he called his friends back to friendship and fellowship with him forever. And that's the call to us. Uh, friendship and fish is what I called that one. But today we continue from that account where Jesus made them breakfast on the seashore in John chapter 21. So uh, if you're... Uh, 
got a Bible and you want to open it up, that's where we're going to be, uh, John chapter 21. If you like to look on advice, you could do that. We'll also put it up here. I'll be reading from the, the English Standard Version as we get there. But So we're, we're continuing from that account of that conversation he had with his friends, um, but moving on to what may be a familiar story to you um, as he begins to talk with one of his best friends, Peter, the one he had called and commissioned to lead the church, but who in a moment of weakness had denied Jesus completely. But Jesus. Jesus restores. And that's uh, what we're going to be talking about today is kingdom restoration. Um, I'm so grateful for your testimony, Benjamin. It led right into this. Um, How God loves to restore And when he restores, he restores completely, fully, to the fullest depths and the highest heights. He leaves no stone unturned and no broken place untouched. It is a complete work when Jesus restores. That's good news. Um, Sometimes you and I do things. You know, Peter uh, was in a moment, if you know, denied Christ three times when he was going to the cross. Uh, and uh, then later wept bitterly over it. He severely regretted what, what he had done. And sometimes we're in a place like that. I don't know if any of us have been confronted by, do you believe Jesus? And said no three times. But sometimes we all do things that we regret. We, we, or things happen to us beyond our con- control and a brokenness comes into our soul. And, and we wonder, after we've experienced that or done that thing, we wonder, well, how, how does Jesus feel about me now? You know, has this driven a, a wedge between us? And especially if it's something we've done. We, sometimes we expect God to, to hold a grudge, Right? Let's be honest. We, we expect that we, we're going to have to kind of like pay it back to him, make it better with him. I mean, has anyone ever felt these feelings? Okay, a couple. Thanks. Thanks for the nodded heads. I know I have. We may feel that we, we, we kind of need to get our acts together before things are going to be okay with, with us and Jesus, that it's somehow up to us to get it right. But I want to tell you, this story proves the heart of God, nothing could be further from the truth. That's just not how he is. It's, it's never will be in his nature to hold a grudge. He cannot do it. He cannot. <laughs> the cross proves it all the way. He cannot, he will not hold a grudge, and he's never asking us to get our act together because if we were going to be the ones to get our act together, we would have been the ones hanging on the cross. So it's never up to us to wonder if, we, if he's going to like us. It's never up to us to get our act together. The, what we need is, is to understand that in the middle of our biggest brokenness and our small brokennesses and our broken heart over things that happen to us, he comes to us. Right where we are, he will go out of his way to meet us where we are. And though sometimes... We think we know what he's going to do to make things right. We actually usually don't understand God's ways. (laughs) 
what we do know is that all of his ways are perfect. Everything he does is just and true. Just and true. Those are, those are building terms, you know. It's just, it's true, means it's, it's even, it's flawless, it's straight, it's true. You can plumb line to it. Every one of his ways is just and true, and he is the God of restoration. When something is not just, when it's not true, he is the one that will come and make it just and true. That's, that's the God of restoration. And he promises that he will come and restore all things. In fact, he ends the book saying, behold, I make all things new. I, he will come and restore all this. Nothing in this world, nothing in your life will ever remain untouched by his restoring power and touch. Hallelujah. That's good news. Because we know we're not there yet. In our own lives, when we look at the world around us, but we can always have this hope that nothing in this world will be left untouched. He will restore. He will cause all things to become like him, in him, just and true. Amen? He's the God of restoration. And he doesn't restore to our standards. He restores to his. His never-failing standard. What does it mean to restore? The definition's been up there, but simply to return or repair to original state or design. I think that's more important in the biblical Jesus narrative to understand he doesn't restore us to what we were. He restores us to what he originally intended. And he will restore all things back to what he originally intended. Even the, the creation we live in today is still marred and marked by the sin and fall of man, but there will be a day when even creation is restored back to his original design. Nothing will be untouched. We know restoration in the natural, you know, with old art and when they come and restore, you know, a painting to its original glory or, you know, maybe uh, classic cars get restored or, um, you know, I have a lot of dental work and they go in, they say they're going to restore the tooth. But in the, all of these things that we know of restoration, they are never back to their original design. They're never what they once were. In God, they're always what they were meant to be. I love that. And his restoration always involves removing the agent of destruction, removing the agent of decay completely and forever. It's never coming back. That's the work that will take place in every part of creation, but it starts with you and me starts in our hearts as we walk with him. We, man, woman, humanity, are the crown jewel of his creation, the one who which he said it's very, very good when he made us. And he starts with us. He starts with our souls. So as we get into this, this account of him restoring his friend Peter, uh, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are just and true in all of your ways that you're faithful and you will be known as the faithful one, faithful, true, and you will be seen as faithful and true when you return. Well, right now, today, in our story and in your story, I pray that you would do the work of restoration in our hearts. God, anything that's broken 
or broke down. God, you would come today and remove the decay. You'd come today and deal with the agent of deterioration and make all things new. We believe that you are able and that you want to. And Lord, we believe that you will. Thank you for your word that's alive and active today. If you agree, say amen. Amen. So John chapter 21, picking up where we left off last week, I'm going to read through this, this one fully, and then we'll unpack it today, um, starting in verse 15. Follow along with me. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, and Jesus, he, he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him that third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, verse 18, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this was said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. We're going to stop there. There's a little more at the end of John 21. Read it on your own, but I want you to see this moment because this was a restoration moment. If you know the story, you know that Peter had denied Jesus three times. When Jesus had been taken away, was on trial, Peter and John were out in the courtyard and, and they, he was asked directly, hey, you're one of his followers, are you not? And he said, no. He said, no again, and he cursed and he said, no. And Jesus has even prophesied to him that he would do this. You're going to deny me three times and the rooster crowed. And so it came true. The rooster crowed. And Peter, heartbroken, heart sick, wept bitterly. So Peter's been carrying this lament, if you will. Um, this, this brokenness, this I have failed the Lord. All of this time, even after Jesus has shown up in the room a couple of times with the disciples, you can only ima just imagine the, the dynamic in his own heart, the questioning in his own heart. What does he think of me? You know, and he knew, and they both knew that Jesus had commissioned Peter before this that he would be the rock. That he'd be the leader of the church. And here he has denied his Lord and Savior three times, even after saying, I'll die for you. I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll go all the way for you, Jesus. But in that moment, denied him three times. And so here he is three times. And Jesus comes. I mean, you have to imagine that that had to be why. You know, he's carrying around this shame. He thinks I'm completely disqualified. Why else did he charter this fishing trip, right, in the first place? He's like, well, 
there's no way I'm going to be able to lead God's people now. I might as well go back to catching fish. I've, I've, I've thrown it all in the trash. We've got to, got to make a living somehow. And so you know he's, he's carrying around this shame and, and is about to, you know, in his mind's eye, he sees only a future where for the rest of my life I remember I denied my best friend, my Lord and Savior, and now I have to carry this for the rest of my life. I've betrayed not only my friend, but the Son of God. The weight of that kind of shame I cannot even imagine. And knowing that by doing so, he's thinking, I've given up my position of leadership. Here I am, I've got to make a living. But at this moment, Jesus comes and visits Peter and speaks right to him. And Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed. He knew exactly what would bring restoration to Peter. I love that Jesus doesn't come and throw the book at him. He could have. Jesus, Jesus come, Peter, you bore false witness about me. You broke one of the big ten. You know better. What were you thinking? This would have been us, right, coming back. What was wrong with you? We would have thrown the book at him. And sometimes we still do, folks, don't we? There's a lot I could say about that. But I'll say this. Can we learn from the master today? And how he deals with the one who's broken, shamed, downtrodden, thinks they've thrown away their calling thinks they're disqualified forever. Can we, can we learn t- from the master today? Could you just stick this in your back pocket beyond today's message? And when you're thinking about people who've done wrong, who've broken the big 10, who are aware of their shortcomings, who are aware of how they've failed God and failed their friends, can we, can we remember Jesus and how he came? Jesus came and spoke directly to Peter. And both of them knew the elephant in the room. But the way to dismiss the elephant in the room wasn't to talk about the elephant in the room, but to return Peter to true north, to restore him to true fellowship. And and he need Jesus knew that he needed to come and cleanse completely. Now let's be fair to the situation. It's not that grieving had had not come. Peter had grieved. Peter was sorry. He wasn't defiant. There's a difference. And how we deal with people when they're, they're defiant or don't want to repent of their sin. Peter had repented, but he thought all hope was lost. Peter was sorry, but he didn't know what else to do. And in this moment, Jesus comes to him. And a lot of times we think that, uh, that that's where it ends with us. Like we, we're going to, we, we, we do something wrong or something terrible happens in our lives. And, and brokenness comes and we come to the Lord and we confess it. And we, we hope and, and hopefully we believe that there's forgiveness. But most of the time, many times, we don't know that there's actually restoration that God wants to give. We think, I'll just get forgiveness and, and it'll be okay. I mean, I guess I'll never step out on that limb again. I'll never be that bold again. I'll never really go out crazy in faith again because I really blew it that time. 
but God will forgive me and I'll just take a different, different path. But we have to understand that it, when we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, God's desire is that he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us completely. That's restoration. Let's not just believe God for forgiveness when there's brokenness. Let's believe God for restoration because that's his promise, that he cleanses completely. He makes us new again. And then you know what he does? He makes us new again. And then you know what he does? He makes us new again. Like the promise never runs out, FYI. Well, God made me new at salvation. He didn't stop there. He restored you to the standard, but I messed up. He'll do it again. But he restored me uh, uh, 85 times. He's not done with you yet. He will restore completely, and his goal is to cleanse completely. And so when Jesus came to Peter on this day, his goal wasn't just to get a confession that was already made. His goal was restoration. His goal was a complete cleansing of that thing, that it would be completely uprooted. And Jesus comes at him as Jesus does, gentle yet bold and direct. Instead of talking about what happened, which they both knew, instead of addressing the elephant in the room, he goes right to the source and begins to speak to the root. He goes, Peter, I'm not here to wash off the dirt. You know me well enough to know I love you. You know me well enough to know that I forgive you. I'm not just here to wash off the dirt. I'm here to take it up by the root. So in fact, you'll never be the same again. I've come to cleanse you completely. And what he's teaching us is that the kingdom of God is about restoration and the kingdom works by love and the kingdom works by dependence on the king. He's establishing the nature of the kingdom. And I love that Jesus isn't afraid for a second that this is going to work or not. He's not thinking, oh, who's next in line for Peter's position? You know, if this doesn't work out, I need a backup plan. Maybe John, who apparently was following them the whole time. That's, that's a whole other fun story to talk about. He's talking to Peter, and his hope and his faith is in the one who he called, Peter. And his hope, his faith is that if he does the work of restoration, Peter will still be what he prophesied he would be. That Peter will still fulfill his role and he comes determined and not afraid. Determined and at peace. And he, he speaks right to the, the heart of the matter and asks three times, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Good, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And then he goes to tell him a story, a little parable. He said, you know, you've lived most of your life in your own strength, making your own decisions. You dress yourself, you go where you want, but I tell you the truth, your life is going in a different direction. And you're going to come to a day where you can't see where you're going and someone else is going to address you and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. But at the end of the day, here's what you need to do. Follow me. And don't think that that was just a side story he was telling about decades later. He's painting the story of Peter's life for him. Peter, you've been strong. 
Peter, you've been independent. Peter, you're a natural leader. People will follow you. But in my kingdom, your strength in the natural as a leader, when you come into a spiritual place, your strength will fail. And that's what happened. You look at the natural scene where he's, he's in the courtyard with that girl, and she's like, hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he's like, no, I'm not. And you think, what happened to Peter in this moment? Strong Peter, I'll die for you, Jesus, Peter. And what happened? What happened was Peter was not in a natural leadership situation. When Jesus is headed to the cross, we're entering into a nature of things that is completely spiritual. And what had come against him was not the voice of a little girl, but all the accusation of hell, trying to take down the future leader of Christ's church. Where Christ is about to go on the cross to birth his church and his kingdom on earth as we know it forever, all of hell is arrayed against Peter through this little girl. And here's the moral of the story. It doesn't matter how strong you might be in the natural. When you come into the kingdom of God, you've entered into a spiritual realm. And your strength, no matter how strong, will crumble. Because the spiritual forces that we've entered into are way bigger than our human frame. How could he fall in the middle of this conversation with the little girl? Because what's behind the little girl was all the forces of hell. And your strength, no matter how strong in the natural, will crumble before the spiritual forces of hell if you're trying to stand on your own two feet. So God had to restore to Peter to the place of understanding the kingdom he had been brought into. To understand the kingdom in which he would be the rock that the church became built upon. And to restore him completely. Jesus knew how to do this And he sees us as we are. And here's the story. Jesus, I don't believe Jesus doubted Peter's love. Lord, you know all things. Peter even confessed it, right? You know all things. You know that I love you. So why did Jesus question Peter this way? Because Peter needed to be convinced of his love for Jesus. Jesus knew. He saw to the heart of it. He had no doubts. He knew. Let's put it in other words. Jesus is saying, Peter, I know you love me. Do you know you love me? Do you believe you love me after what you've done? Do you believe that you still love me? Because I know you love me. And I'm going to dig through by asking the question, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? So that Peter had to answer every accusation that had been clinging to him. To say, I do love you, Jesus. Do you love me, Peter? And the next layer of junk and accusation, I, I do love you, Jesus. Do, do you love me, Peter? The depth of where that root had landed and the grief that comes. When he saw it, Lord, you know I love you. She said, Jesus saying, I know you do. And now you do too. Now you do too. Jesus isn't at a, at a doubt to whether G- Peter loved him. He's not a doubt as to whether you love him either. Do you know why? 
Because that love didn't come from you. The only reason you have faith in God, the only reason you love God is because he planted that seed of love inside of you. And he knows that seed is faithful. And he knows that seed will live. And he knows that it's genuine. It doesn't waver because it's not your love. It's his love on the inside of you. And Peter needed to see it, that it wasn't about the strength of his conviction. It wasn't about the strength of his commitment because our strength, our commitment, the, the commitment and strength of the flesh under spiritual pressure will always break. But if Jesus can help us see to the seed of love that he planted within us, we understand that our love is real because his love for us is real. And it's not fueled by our emotion or our ability to fulfill our requirements or our ability to feel it or our ability to perform perfectly. That love is real. And it doesn't waver because his love doesn't waver. And we understand that we must enter into a dependence not on our own strength or our own commitment, but a faith in his strength, a faith in his commitment to us. Jesus did not give up on Peter, and he won't give up on us. It's that time of year, right? Have you ever, any of you out there doing yard work, pulling up, pulling up the weeds? Uh, some of them are small, right? And like, you can like pluck them up with your fingers and hey, there it is, got it all. Some of them, though, like, you gotta grab that thing, you gotta twist it, and you gotta tug. And then you gotta tug. And you gotta tug again. Doesn't it feel good when you get that thing out rooting all? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was doing one of those with Peter, wasn't he? That this root of accusation, and let's face it, the root of pride and self-strength runs deep with this one. He had to press on it. He had to twist it. He got to uproot that thing. And in one sense, Peter in this moment is completely decimated from the standpoint of his own strength. I have failed completely, but the love of God hasn't failed me. You know what that perfectly qualifies him for? Now you get it, Peter. You're going to be the rock. And from this stone, I'll build millions and billions of living stones. And guess what? Here we are. Because it worked. When, when Peter had called off and admitted to the complete weakness of his own strength, he could faithfully be used for Christ to continue to build his church for centuries. And here we are. And guess what? We're here because there are millions and billions who've gone before and bumped into our own strength and our own failures and, and found ourselves walk, wanting and weak before Jesus. And he comes and he speaks to our hearts and he says, I see that root in you and we're going to take it out and you're going to understand that my love for you is true. Your love for me is true. And it's by my strength and my grace that this church will stand. And you know what the really cool thing about this is? It's not just about standing. But when we understand that the kingdom works by love, the love of God, and that the kingdom works by complete dependence on the king, is where we become that force that hell cannot prevail against. That's what he prophesied to Peter in Matthew 16, 18. He says, 
Peter, you're going to be the rock, and I'm going to build my church. And, and let, let's, be, let's be clear. The church is not about a building or an organization. It's people. It's you and me. He said, I'm going to build a people. And this people is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen or experienced. They are going to be the one thing that hell cannot prevail against. And you know what makes us able to not be prevailed against, but to prevail against every scheme of hell is the love of God and our complete surrender and dependence upon him. It is an upside-down kingdom, friends. We expect, we gotta be strong, you know? We gotta, we gotta make this thing happen, and when times get hard, we gotta buck up. No, lean into the love of God and surrender to the strength of God. Understand you've entered into a spiritual kingdom and flesh strength will break. You've entered into a spiritual kingdom, you have to depend on the strength of the king. Good news, that strength is unlimited. That love is unlimited. It never runs out. You'll never reach the end of it. You'll never fall off the cliff of it. You will forever be surrounded and strengthened by it. And when you... So Jesus came to him to confirm, not to Jesus, but to Peter, that his love was real. That he would not be able to depend on himself in the days going forward but he could fully depend on the one who was eye to eye with him. It's like, Peter, times and seasons are going to change. Your life is going to change. And you're not going to experience more physical strength. You're going to experience more weakness as your days go on. But follow me. Follow me. Walk with me, and we'll do this thing. And so Peter walks away knowing, not because I'm so great, but because Jesus is Jesus, I'm fully loved. I'm fully loved. He knew that he was fully loved. And, and when you know that you are fully loved, guess what you can do? You will be able to love with the love of God. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Because if we know that his love for us is true and unending, the next easy transition will be to feed the sheep. I'm confident in his love for me so I can confidently love those around me. I'm confident that he restores me so I can confidently restore those around me. It's, a, it's not an either-or proposition. Do you love me, Peter? I do. You're qualified. Do you love me, Peter? Good. That's all I need. Jesus is, is, is essentially handing off the baton of shepherding the people of God to Peter. You see that? He had been the good shepherd. He still is the good shepherd. But he had been walking with the people, and he was going to ascend into heaven. And Peter and John and the other apostles would be walking with the people. They would be the ones who get to tend the sheep, feed the sheep with the manna from Jesus. And they had to be completely rooted, grounded in the unfailing love of God. And in that moment, Jesus is completely cast out shame. Peter could never look back again and say, but, but, but I failed you, Lord. I'm not worthy. Jesus counted him worthy. Jesus had restored him. Jesus cut that off. And you know, you know, if you look through the life of Peter, I mean, we don't have every moment, but we don't ever see that he was in that place again. We don't ever see that he, he came to a place where he denied the Lord. Why, why is that? 
Because he was cleansed completely. He was changed. It was a true transformative work. That's the kind of restoration that Jesus does. The kingdom of God works by love, and it works by dependence on the king. Your gifts, your training, your personality will carry you some places. But to truly enter the fullness of God's purposes for your life will always require complete dependence on him. Doesn't mean those gifts aren't from God, but they have to be supernaturally empowered. Doesn't mean your talents aren't aren't from the Lord, but they're not yours. They're his. That whole pride thing is a double-edged trap, right? Peter had entered into in some ways. It will make you believe you can go higher than you really can, and it will take you lower than you ever imagined. That pride thing will get you, and and God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And whatever Jesus has called you to do, depend on him. Not your own ability or strength. That's the way the kingdom works. Following Jesus is not a natural decision. It's a transference into a spiritual kingdom. That's how we follow. And by doing so, we enter into things we, again, like we've never imagined. We enter into wars that we can't handle on our own, but God. And you might say, we're going to need to draw this to a close, but you might be saying, I'm not Peter, you know. I'm not a big leader or anything. Is this really for me? Yes, it is. Leaders in the kingdom, let me say it this way. Every believer in the kingdom is a leader. If you follow Jesus, you have influence because God calls us to be like Jesus. And Jesus came as an example, as a model, and as a servant. And everyone who knows him gets to be an example of him to the world around them. Everyone who follows Jesus gets to be a model of the kingdom to the world around them. They get to be a servant to the world around them. So yes, this is for you. This is how he established in the first. It's how he will establish in everyone who follows after. Even as Jesus was on this earth, so are we. Isn't that what the word says? He came to show us the way we're supposed to live. By walking in it, by living in it. He was providing a template, an example. Every believer has influence. Every person in the kingdom of God has influence. It starts with you. You influence yourself first. (laughs) You lead yourself in the kingdom first and lead yourself well. But then the Lord puts people around you, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, people in line of Dollar General. You have influence. You get to be an agent of the kingdom. So yes, it's a story for you. This story is for you. And he looks you in the face and says, do you love me? Do you know that you love me? I know that you love me. Do you know that I know that you love me? (laughs) All right, now we're getting somewhere. Now go feed my sheep. Go love. Go lead. Go serve. Go speak. And not in your own strength, not in your own qualifications. Don't whip out your resume. What what, what do you need? What's your resume? If I'm going to lead, if I'm going to serve, if I'm going to speak, if I'm going to love the sheep in Jesus' name, how do I qualify myself? Lord, I love you. Period. 
End of story. It's like, good, feed my sheep. And in the church, First Peter talks about, Peter talks about this. Of course Peter talks about this. Is a peculiar people being built like living stones or living rocks. Your life touches someone. Every brick is built on another brick. Your life touches someone. But I'm not qualified. Do you love him? Yes, you are. Feed his sheep. Jesus cares too much about us to let us walk this thing out in our own strength. Because he's the one that builds the church. And he's going to see to it that every living stone, that's you and me, is strong and secure in love, confident in love, confident in loving, and built up in the strength of God, the faith of God, the truth of God. That's how he builds something beautiful, a people for himself. That's how he builds something powerful of people belonging to God. That's how he builds a force that hell and its schemes cannot reckon with. In fact, I don't believe, I believe the reason hell can't reckon with us, little weak old us, is because hell can't understand how God can supernaturally strengthen weak people like you and me. But he does. And he's really good at it. A people who are fully in love, a people who are known by God, a people strengthened by his grace. It's so good, it's so simple that Jesus could say, hey, I know you love me. You love me. Do you know you love me? You know you're weak? You know you need me? Let's go. I can work with that. I can work with that. He's, gonna, he's doing a work in you, and he's restoring you. Let's stand together. Justin, can you come on up? It's so amazing how, how simple the truth of God's grace is that only true love for Jesus will help us to stand in the days that we live. And the strength of divine dependence, meaning we lean on God, not ourselves, will always win. It's never just enough when we lean on him. It's more than enough. And he's making all things new. Let's come before him in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful and true. That you are the restorer of all things and you make all things new. And that you yourself desire to bring all things into newness of life. God, that wherever something's been broke down or lost in us, whether it's our own doing or the actions of others against us, you see it, you know it, and I believe you're coming to restore. You're coming to rebuild. You're coming to reclaim. You're coming to repair, to set things right that have been made wrong, God, in our hearts and lives. And we thank you for that work. We thank you for the divine work of the Holy Spirit coming even now. God, I thank you that you're coming to individuals in this room and you want to speak the words of life. God, you want to come and cleanse completely. Come and cleanse completely from all unrighteousness. Set us free. Set us free, God, from accusation. Set us free, God, from 
the pride that so easily entangles us. Set us free from self-reliance and free us to lean on you. Free us to walk with you. Free us to follow you in the fullness of life that you give. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Just tell him, Jesus, I love you. This is your moment right here. Tell the Lord, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me first. Thank you for loving me first. You know I love you, Lord. You know my love is real. It may be weak, but I'm yours. I love you, Jesus. Just open your heart to him this morning. I believe he comes to some of you to do a restoring work right now, even in this moment. We're going to stay here for a moment. It says he comes to restore. The word says he comes to restore the things, even the things long devastated, to repair the breach. The places where things have... Mm, have been broke down where there's been a lack. The Lord comes to restore the devastated places. And he wants to speak the words of life over you today. Thank you for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I believe in some way, every one of us needs a restoring work in our hearts but there are some today where you've been feeling the pain you've been feeling the wound you've been feeling the distance of things that have happened either your own mistakes or the tragedy of others against you and you've been feeling the wound and you feel the distance and you wonder how can I make things right between me and Jesus and I tell you he's coming to you today He's coming to make things right. He's coming to restore. And I really want to take a moment and even minister to some of you, if that's you. If that wound has been fresh, the pain has been real even in this last week, and you know you need Jesus to come and rebuild and restore that area of your life, I want to invite you up front. I want to invite you here, and we're just going to invite Jesus to come and speak. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, don't be shy. If that's you, just come and let Jesus meet you. Just come up here, face the cross. Come up here, face the cross. You're saying, Jesus, I need your restoration work in my life. If that's you. I don't care who you are, you could be an elder in this church. I'd be a believer for decades. If there's a wound, there's a pain, there's a distance. Jesus wants to restore today. Just come on forward. If you're not responding, but you feel drawn to someone who's up here, would you just come and lay a hand on them? We're just going to invite the voice of Jesus right now to every heart. Jesus, just as you spoke the words exactly needed to the heart of Peter, we 
Release the voice of the Lord over every heart in this room, God. Release the words of Jesus, the expression of Jesus to come right now. Come near. Right now, come close. Right now, Lord Jesus, come. Right now, King Jesus, speak your words. Come right now and speak your words of life, Jesus. If you're gathered around someone, just listen first. Just listen and let the Lord prophesy life through you. But listen and speak the word of the Lord. Don't speak your own words. Speak the word of the Lord. If you're in the room and you haven't responded, right where you are, you can listen. Say, Lord, speak. Speak the words of life to my heart right now. Speak the words of life to my heart right now. I'm listening. Come and restore the broken things right now. Let's just stay right here for a minute as Justin leads us in a, in a song. Just let the Lord minister. Come, Lord Jesus. You're bringing beauty for all that is broken. Yes. Yes, come Lord, come Lord. Restore all that is lost. Yes, come Lord. Come Lord, come Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yes, God. You're bringing beauty for all that is broken. You're turning around. Yes, come. Yes, You're restore all that is lost. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Bringing beauty from all that is broken. You're turning around the things that feel hopeless. You're restoring all that is lost. Putting a new song in my heart. If you don't sense the Lord doing something specific in your own heart, I want you to look around the room. Ask the Lord to show you someone to go bless right now, anyone in the room, just to release words of life over. Listen in and speak the word of Jesus over someone. Just go to somebody now. Lord, who would you have me minister life to? Who would you have me speak your word over? Just go to them right now. Just take a moment and do this. Then in a minute, Justin's going to lead us in a chorus we all know. We'll wrap up. Lord, we thank you that you come to make all things new. We thank that you give beauty for ashes, God. And today I pray for a, a sweeping out of ashes, God, in the, in the corners of our hearts, God. God, I pray for beauty to be restored. I pray for the hand of Jesus to touch wounded places. God, to heal things long devastated. Lord, I pray for uh, relational places of brokenness. God, to be healed today. God, for places where roots of bitterness have been growing, God, that you would right now come in kindness and uproot every root of bitterness, God. Come in kindness today and uproot every root of self-reliance. Come today, right now, Lord, and uproot every root of pride in us, in Jesus. God, and come restore back to original glory back to communion with you, God, every person in this family, God, we ask in the name of Jesus.